0: All right. good morning everybody. So glad you're here. Welcome to our fourth week of our series called One. And I wanted to start off this morning with a little bit of laughter. And uh, there's a lot of wisdom in that song. And all the ladies said, Amen. Right? Okay, so uh, man, we need to take heed of that song for sure. Well, this uh, morning, I really felt led uh, as Pastor Randy kind of began to talk about mutual submission last week. And he kind of began to touch a little bit about roles. I just kind of felt led by God to just, as we continue in our series called One, to explore some of these roles just a little bit deeper and talk a little bit about them. So I wanted to, I want to talk and grab men's attention today. I wanted to get your attention, so I, I knew that song would get your attention. And uh, one of the things we've been learning in our series called One is that God really desires for us to have unity. God wants us to have unity. He He wants us to have unity uh, in our relationships. He wants us to have unity in our fellowship with one another. God loves unity. What we find is the scripture says that the the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they are one. They're one. They set this example for us. And God loves unity. Uh, uh, The first week and as well as last week in John chapter 17 Jesus, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed for unity, He prayed for his followers to live as one, as he and the Father are one. He wants unity in our churches. He wants unity in our marriages. Ephesians chapter 4. Last week, Pastor Randy was in Ephesians chapter 5. And in Ephesians chapter 4, the whole part of Ephesians 4 is about living life in the Spirit of God. And he talked last week about mutual submission and submitting to one another. That's what 521 says. We submit to one another out of reverence for Christ in the way that we love each other. How do we begin to do this? Well, look, this is what Paul says in the chapter prior to Ephesians chapter 5. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner that's worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And look at what he's going to say. He's going to give some characteristics. With all humility, and with gentleness, and with patience, bearing with one another in love. Now tell me that that would not make a difference in your relationships, in your marriage, when we begin to live in this manner. With humility, with gentleness, with patience, and love. Bearing with one another in love. And then he goes on. Eager to do what? Say it with me. Eager to maintain the the unity. The unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And then he's going to begin to... Give us these examples. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that the, that belongs to your call. And one Lord and one faith and one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. There's no question that God loves unity. God loves unity. He loves oneness. He's modeled that for us, and there's nothing more attractive to those that maybe they're not believers and they don't know the Lord yet. There's nothing more attractive than when they see people who call themselves Christ followers living in unity with one another, living with that gentleness and respect, and living with with uh, uh, patience with one another, and living like that. And and uh, on the flip side of that. There is nothing more repelling to those that don't know the Lord when those that say they know Christ don't live like that. And instead, they're quarreling and they're selfish and and they live in a manner that dishonors God. And and so this passage in Ephesians chapter 4 is all really about it's about dying to self and living in the spirit. It's about dying to self, living life in the spirit. It's where Pastor Randy took us last week as he talked about this mutual submission to one another and this is about living in the spirit of God, to live in the spirit of God. You remember last week he gave the example of the sponge to live in the spirit of God, to be filled up with the spirit of God. You have to empty yourself, right? You empty yourself of your own desires and all of this. This is what this all means and uh, and w- kind of how this all comes together. And again, he touched on the roles and I want to go just a little bit deeper. God not only wants unity in our churches. You know, this God wants unity in your marriage. If you're a married person, it brings honor and glory to God. When you are living in unity with your spouse. It's a picture of, of Christ in the church. And we discovered in Genesis chapter 2, Jesus quoted it when he was talking about marriage and divorce. We, we, uh, we, I mean, this, this passage of Genesis is quoted by Jesus. It's quoted by Paul. It's quoted in Ephesians chapter 5, as he's going to be talking about husbands and wives. Jesus talks it, uh, about it whenever, uh, whenever the Pharisees came to him, trying to trap him in his words. And, and in Matthew chapter 19... Paul says this, he, or Jesus said this, he answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning, he made them male and female? So they are distinct, right? They are different. He made them male and female and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become, everybody say it with me, they shall become what? One flesh. The two shall become One flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. And what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. These are the words of Jesus. And Jesus is quoting what was in Genesis. Paul quotes it in Ephesians chapter 5. Paul also quotes it in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. God makes it very clear that he wants a husband and wife and a family and a home to be in unity Together, he wants a husband and wife to leave, the, uh, you know, to, to leave and to become independent. It doesn't mean you have to move away, but it means this, that you, you're starting your own family. You're independent now and, and you're independent from your parents in this sense. And God wants you to grow up and God wants you to grow in Christ and grow into the responsibilities that he has made for you as a husband and as a wife. And the two shall become one. Notice it says become one. It doesn't just happen instantly. How, and here is the deal. We, we've been talking about this over the last four weeks. And we've been saying we need to be one. We want to live as, as one. We want that to be what our marriages are like. But the big question that comes up is how do we get that? How do we become one? How do we attain unity? Well, this is something good to write down. This isn't in your notes, but this is something that if you want to know about how do we begin this process of becoming one. Listen, it's not the it's not the physical act of sex or anything like this. Here's how we begin the process of becoming one. Unity is the process uh, of dying to self to become one. Let me say that again. Unity is the process of dying to self to become one. And when you become one, you don't become one in person. What what you become is one in purpose. A few weeks ago, we talked about it being like a a three-legged race. Remember how we talked about that? And we talked about taking the cord and the cord is Jesus. And you've got one separate individual coming together with another separate individual. And then they begin to yield to one another as they are moving forward with this purpose of acting as one. Listen to me this morning, you don't become one just because you're married. There may have been an act of consummation, but this doesn't mean that you're living in unity. This doesn't mean that you're living in oneness. A couple could be married for 50 years and not be unified. But they've stayed together, but there's no unity that doesn't bring glory and honor to God in living as one. Contrary to popular belief, oneness has nothing to do with compatibility. People will say all the time, we're just not compatible. We're not going to... Oneness has nothing to do with compatibility. Unity and oneness has everything to do with a couple's willingness and choice to comply. Or that word could also be submit to god's structure and and to God's laws of unity it's understanding and, and and celebrating and embracing that there are distinct differences between men and women and what happens is we, we we think a lot of times that becoming one means that we're not we don't live in a distinct role anymore instead we're just this you know we're one unit in this sense but there's no distinct personality or whatever but God has set up distinct roles. We move together as one in purpose. Now, in the time that we have left today, what I want to talk to you about today is this, is that when we understand what our roles are, that is always a precedent for great unity. When we understand how we're made and and that unity and oneness has everything to do with embracing the distinct roles that God has made us for. And again, what we want to talk about is this, is that God has given, if you're a married couple, God has given husbands. And I want to talk to men today. God has given husbands and created husbands with a great responsibility and privilege of this word here of headship. Of headship, and I want to show you in God's word. In every case, listen, in every case, headship always precedes unity. Whether it's in a marriage, whether it's in a church, whether it's in a government, or whether it's at your job, somebody has to be a leader. Somebody has to be ahead. In fact, it's been said that anything with two heads is a freak, right? Okay? And uh, someone has to be in headship. God has created a husband to be in headship and, and and to live. This is a great privilege. This is a great responsibility to be in headship. and And, and listen, it doesn't matter what my opinion is about this. What we want to do is go to God's word. What does God's word have to say about our role as men? Here's what it says in Ephesians chapter 5. Remember in chapter 5 verse 21 as Pastor Randy was teaching last week. He says that we are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then he begins to talk to wives for a minute. And just for a very brief period he talks to wives. And he says submit to your husbands out of reverence for Christ. And respect him in that manner. And then he's going to spend a lot of time talking to men. He's going to say men this is what it means the role that you are in it's headship and it's a great privilege it's a great responsibility this is what god's word says when he gets to verse 23 of ephesians chapter 5 for the husband is everybody say it with me he's what he is the head of the wife even as christ is the head of the church his body and is and is himself its savior so this is god's word this isn't my opinion my opinion doesn't matter What God's word, God has set this up in a beautiful way. And when this is working together and a husband is living with a proper understanding of headship and a wife is is respecting that authority and expecting that headship, I'm telling you this, it's a beautiful thing. There's oneness with that. It works together in in a beautiful kind of way. Now, when we hear this word headship or we hear the word submit and we begin to hear that, don't forget we are to submit to one another, right? This whole process of unity is dying to self. A husband is to submit to a wife in a sense as well as a wife is to submit to a husband. We die to self. We work together. This does not mean that there are not roles But when the world hears this word headship or when the world hears the word submit, it's offensive to the world. It's a stumbling block and it's a stumbling block because it's misunderstood. It's a stumbling block and it's been offensive because in some cases it's been abused because it's been misunderstood. And women have been kind of, you know, browbeaten with scripture and, and there's not been proper understanding by men as to what this actually means. And that's where I, I hope to clear up today is beginning to to just, just show us that this is what this means. If if your idea of headship is this, and some of you may be thinking, well, is this, is God saying that men are, are superior to women here, and women are just to be doormats? Well, we all know that men are not superior to women. Okay? We know that, right? Okay? And we, we know that this, that God has created us. God created man, and God took from man, and he created woman. So there is this oneness there we have different roles and 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 god is not saying that men are superior that women are to live as doormats and and that they are to do nothing but serve our every whim as we crack open our beer and we watch our sports and we sling orders like a dictator and say submit woman the word of god says that you know if if that's your idea of headship And your idea of submission, or what I want to tell you just very lovingly, is you're not going to be married for very long. (laughs) And my point is made. (laughs) You're not going to be married for very long. And if you are going to be married for very long, you're going to be married to a very miserable and very angry woman. And let me just tell you, that's not going to be good for anybody, okay? It's not going to be good for anybody. Good luck with all that. Okay. We've misunderstood headship. We've misunderstood it. We've women have misunderstood it because, again, maybe in some cases men have 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 not taught it properly or men have abused it. Uh, in, In many cases, I believe men have misunderstood it. And maybe we're wanting to be sure that we're being more politically correct. Let's be biblically correct, okay? And, and let's, let's live in the way that God has called us to live. And so what men have done, because we have misunderstood it or we don't understand it or the responsibility intimidates us, men, we have abdicated the headship. And, and what I mean by that is we've said, that's okay. You know, I don't want the responsibility. I don't want to take that on. That's that's you know, I may mess this up and that's a lot of responsibility. And so I'm just going to kind of, you know, step aside. And what happens is we see men, a lot of men become passive. And they become passive and they don't lead and they're not leading their families. And and a lot of men don't want to accept the responsibility. And I think this is true because a lot of men don't know what to do. We're like, we don't know how to do this. We're afraid that if we do this because we don't know how we're going to mess this up. And so a lot of men will just kind of say like, that's eh, all right. It's kind of like whenever someone invites you to play a game and some people, they won't play the game because they maybe they don't want to lose or they don't want to be, you know, and, and then they look weak. And so a lot of times men will just check out and they'll say, I don't know about this. You know, let somebody else kind of lead. And so in many cases, a wife will step in and lead in a, in a way that she's not made to. And there becomes stress in that relationship. Maybe for some men, we're just not sure how to how to spiritually lead our families and step into that. Uh, We're still young in our faith and young in the Lord. And and we're maybe we haven't been growing in some time in the Lord. And so, again, we don't feel qualified. We feel like we need to step out of this because someone else could probably do a better role. She may be deeper in her faith than you are. But listen, you're still God has placed you in a in a role of headship. Which what that would say is that you you need to step up. You do need to step up and man up. So uh, maybe for some, maybe you had a dad that was not a good example of what headship looked like. In some cases, maybe you had a dad that he abused that authority that God had blessed him with. And so you look at that and maybe that's why for some, both men and women, they look at that and it's offensive when we talk about it. It's been misunderstood. It's not been properly lived out. Maybe for some men, the reason they don't step up is because they see uh, how a dad was that was maybe an authoritative figure, but all you saw was the hard side of things. And so you go, I'm not going to be like that, so I'm just going to step back. I'm not going to ever be like that. Here is the deal, men. We need to understand that God has given us a responsibility of headship. Despite whatever you saw in your dad, whether it was good or whether bad, whether it was bad, it does not relieve you from the responsibility of headship that God has placed in your life the responsibility that is there, whether you had a good example or not. Listen, we need to take our eyes off of men and we need to get our eyes on the one role model that we as men really need to follow. And listen, if you're looking to know how to lead and how to live in headship, the place where we look is the person of Jesus Christ. We look in the scripture, our role model for headship is Jesus. He said the husband is the head of the wife. How? As Christ is what? The head of the church. So he's given us an example to follow. So if your dad wasn't a good example of this, get your eyes off of him and let's look at Jesus. How did Jesus lead? How was Jesus in this place of headship? How did Jesus serve One of the things that's one of the saddest parts of Scripture, there was a time in Israel's history where God, through the prophet Ezekiel, was confronting those that were leaders among God's people. They, there were men that were leaders among God's people, and uh, they were in a, a position of authority. Many of them were spiritual leaders. Some of them were political leaders, leaders in the community. They, they had a role that had been given to them, and, and, and they did not step up to the plate. They didn't do what they were called to do. Men were not being the men that they were called to be. And so their nation, as a result, got way off track. Dads were not being what dads were made to be and husbands were not being what husbands were called to be. Uh, Spiritual leaders were not being what spiritual leaders were called to be. And so their husband got way off track and their land became a land that was filled with violence and corruption and selfishness and sexual immorality. Sound familiar? Are you with me? Because people were not being the men were not being who the men were supposed to be. And they weren't living up to the responsibility that God had given them. And so through the prophet Ezekiel, this is what God says. This is one of the saddest scriptures in all of the scripture. He says, I looked for a man. I looked for a man among them who would build up the wall, who would come in and, and, and would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land. Look, so that I would not have to destroy it. But this look look at this next part, this part's sad to me, but I found none at this time as the Lord was coming, looking, he couldn't find a man that would stand up, a man that would say, I accept the responsibility that God has given me. He couldn't find this at this time. And I would tell you this today that I believe that God is looking for men to understand their role. To understand the headship and accept the the responsibility of leadership and headship. And to help rebuild what God has already established in the way that he has set a home up to function. And that is through a proper understanding of roles. And he comes today among our church family. He came today in the first service and he comes today in the second service. And he'll come in the third one today. And he comes among us today and he's looking for some men. And I wonder what he'll find. Will he find we as men saying, God, I'm ready to step up. Or God, I've been stepping up. I'm here, Lord. I'm I'm a man that will stand in the gap on behalf of my family. My goal today is not to. To beat up men and say men we're not doing you know to be sorry or we're being sorry here or whatever you know you, that happens a lot of times it's funny because it kind of happens that like growing up it always kind of happened on father's day i would always hear a message where men kind of got beat up on father's day you know and uh, with uh, being sorry dads and this is a, you know that's not what we want to do today that's not what we're about today um by, by the way try that on mother's day that doesn't work on mother's day okay and uh which by the way is next week okay we'll be talking about women next next week in that role that God has made them for a beautiful role that he's made them and, and the way that he's made them. And, and so it's not to beat men up today or anything like my goal today is this is to point you toward the word of God and show us we who are men today who we are. With a proper understanding of who we already are and the way that God has already made us you know, to show us this, that we need to know who our identity is. We can't really be in headship without a proper understanding of what that means and what the identity is and what the responsibility is. And, and I would say this, that as we look at Jesus, we start this conversation by looking at Jesus. We end the conversation by looking to Jesus. That's who we want to emulate, Jesus is the role model for headship. He's the model for all of us, but he's especially this model for men who are in a place of headship as a husband. So we want to know our our identity and why is it that so many men, why is it that men today, there are a number of men who will not be what they're made to be. Again, I think there's a big misunderstanding about that. They were given a bad example, but I would tell you this. I think that the church because this, there's a misunderstanding, I think that the church as a, as a whole has failed to establish what godly manhood really looks like. What does a godly man look like? I love how John Eldridge puts in his book, Wild at Heart, he says this, that the church has tried to turn Christian men into just a bunch of really nice guys. And so what a lot of men and men who are out in the community that we live in, especially here in Texas, right? We hear that and a lot of men go, that sounds weak. I'm out, you know? Now, I would tell you, God does want you to, to, as we look at Jesus, you see instances where Jesus was able to, I mean, children approached him. He wasn't so scary and manly that they wouldn't come up. I mean, Jesus was tender when he needed to be tender. He was compassionate with those he needed to be compassionate. But I'm going to tell you, you look at Jesus, you'll also find a man who stood up for what was right. You'll find Jesus at certain points. He's in the, in the house of God and, and they are corrupting it. And he takes a stand and he drives them out. And he says, you're not going to treat God's house that way. It's to be a house of prayer. I mean, you're going to find instances where Jesus takes a stand against the Pharisees. And you'll see this over and over again. And a lot of times what we as men, as we've thought, well, they're just trying to make me into this really nice guy. And so I don't don't really want that. If I'm a nice guy, I'm going to get run over in this world. God did not make you just to be a nice guy, okay? He's made you to be so much more than just a nice guy. And if you look across the church of America today, what you're going to find is you're going to find a, a bunch of really bored men. Men that say, I don't really, you know, I'm out. I don't really want to be a part of that. Men with very little passion, where the spiritual bar has been set pretty low. And what we want to do is we want to raise that spiritual bar and accept who we're made to be. And if you're taking notes today, here's something good to write down. As we look at Jesus as our role model, men for headship. What do we find is a characteristics when we look at Christ. Men are created to be like Jesus. And here's what headship begins to look like. OK, so let's accept this responsibility. Here's what it looks like. We are called to be a shepherd to our family. This is what we're called to be. This is what you're made to be. This is what what God has been doing within you from the very beginning of your life is creating you in this sense to be a shepherd to your family. Now, a lot of times when we hear a shepherd, we kind of think, I mean, that's a guy with a little, you know, stick over there, and he's got a sissy-looking little, you know, robe on because we've seen those precious moments, shepherds, you know, and we kind of think that's what we're supposed to look like. Okay, get that out of your mind because shepherds were bad to the bone, okay? Last week, I don't remember which service it was, but while we were taking up the offering, someone's phone went off and bad to the bone was the ringtone, okay? We need that today, okay? And uh, because these shepherds, they were tough guys. Look at this. I want to I show you in John chapter. 10 verse 14 we're going to be we're going to be spending some time in john 10 we're looking at a few different passages but really john chapter 10 verse 14 what does jesus say and who are we to emulate jesus what does he say i am the everybody say it with me i am the what the good shepherd i know my sheep and my sheep they know me so we're to emulate jesus Now, what does a shepherd do? Here are some characteristics of a shepherd. If you're taking some notes, these are some things for you to apply in your home today, in your life. Here is what a shepherd does. Jesus is is our role model for this. What a shepherd does first is he leads courageously. He leads courageously. In John chapter 10, if you you look back in John 10 and you go back to verse 3 in the second part of the verse, it says this in the NLT, it says he, that's speaking of the shepherd, He calls his own sheep by name and he does what? Everybody say it. What does he do? He leads. He leads them out. He leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep. They do what? They follow him. They follow his leadership because they know his voice. His voice is stable. His voice is something that they follow. They look to him for leadership. They look to him for respect. A couple of weeks ago in our staff meeting, we were talking about shepherding. We were talking about what that meant and what that looked like because we're, we as pastors here, we're wanting to be better shepherds and we're wanting to do that. And so we started talking about that. And I came across this example uh, as I was kind of studying this on my own of a guy who was a shepherd and he had 400 sheep and he was trying to get them all into a building. And he, he was behind them trying to push them in and drive these sheep into the building. He couldn't get them to go in. They would not go in. Finally, he went, I've got to lead them in. So he goes and he picks up one of the more docile sheep and he picks it up. He gets in the front. He walks in the building. The rest of the sheep followed him in. You see, you're called to be a shepherd, not a cowboy. Okay, I know we like to be a cowboy, okay, but you're called to be a shepherd. A cowboy drives cattle from behind, right? Kind of is always pushing them and, you know, getting them to where he wants them. A shepherd leads. A shepherd is a leader. He leads them. and you are made to be a leader men. You're made to be a leader wherever you are, no matter what status you are at within a job or with you're made to be a leader at your job. you're made to be a leader in your church. You're made to be a leader in your community, but especially you are made to be a leader in your home. You are called to headship. You're called to be a leader. God has entrusted you. Listen, he has trusted you with a sphere of influence around you. And it starts in your family. He's, he's entrusted this to you. And, 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 and he's called you to be the leader to those around you. Now, what happens is we start when we start talking about this, a lot of men will check out because we're afraid that, well, that means, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm not qualified to do this. Or you know, again, I, I, I'm, I just, man, I, I, some of the things that I might do during the week would disqualify me from this, and well, that would just say that we need to step up and we need to start being men of integrity. And uh, but here is the deal. A lot of us, we look at this and it, it scares us to death. God is not calling you to be perfect. He's calling you just to be a leader. He's calling you to point, give some directions, even if it's the wrong way. What your family's looking for is someone that will say, I just want to follow somebody. I want to follow a man. Now, we, we want to help you go in the right direction, right? But but you but listen. The the Bible says this: that where there is no vision, and as a leader, you're supposed to be be given vision to your family. This is the direction we're going in. This is how we want to live. This is how we do home here at our house. This is how we treat finances. You're the one that's supposed to be giving direction. The Bible says, "Where there is no vision, the people what they perish." Don't be passive. God's called you to be active. He's called you to to lead. You point the direction, you lead out. God's not expecting you to to be perfect. What God is wanting you to do is he's wanting you to accept the role of headship. I promise you, if if you'll lead and you'll step out and you're living a life of integrity and you make some mistakes, what a man does when he makes a mistake is he owns it and he says, I made a mistake. And people respect that. They're not looking for perfection. Your family's not looking for for, for perfection. They already know you're not perfect. They're looking for someone to step up and accept the role. It's active. It's not passive. What you'll find is is very strong women. We have many very strong women within our church. I praise the Lord for that. Uh, Very strong women. But even in the heart of a very strong woman, you'll find a woman who is submitted to Christ. And she submitted to Christ before she submitted to anything else that she is crying out. And and when we talk to most Christian wives, they are crying out and they're saying, just lead me. Just step up and lead. That's what they're crying out for. Will you please lead me? You don't have to be perfect. I don't expect you to be perfect. I just want you to step up and I'll follow you. I will lead. I mean, I will follow your lead. We're called to lead. It's a responsibility that comes with headship. It's active. It's not passive. We need to do away with the passive mentality that many men have taken upon ourselves. It's active leadership. It's responsibility. The very first sin, I believe, when you look in the garden and you see the garden of Gethsemane, the very first sin that I think really Adam did was he did not step up and protect his wife. As she was deceived by the snake. He he knew what was going in. He should have stepped in. He was being passive. And he just went right along with it. And now look at where we're at. Okay. He should have stepped up and said. Not here. Not in my house. I'm going to protect this. This was his responsibility. As a shepherd. You're called to lead courageously. What else do we find as as a uh, characteristic of a shepherd? Men. I know you're going to relate to this. A shepherd protects bravely. You know you're made for that. You know that's what you feel in your heart. You want to protect your country. You want to protect those you love. You want to protect your family. In the Old Testament, there was another famous shepherd. His name was David, and he was just a young man at this time. He was a boy, and the Bible tells us about his life as a shepherd, David was standing before Saul. Saul was in headship over the country, the nation of Israel. Goliath was threatening them, and Saul was in his tent being passive. David came, and he saw all this going on, and he was like, I'm not putting up with this. And so he goes before Saul in submission to Saul's headship, and he says, can I go fight this guy? I'm going to take him out. And Saul's like, oh, you can't do this, you know. I, and, and, but Saul was the one he was supposed to be facing. But Saul was in his tent, cowering away and not living up. The Bible tells us that Saul was head and shoulders taller than every other man in Israel. And that he looked like the one that was... But, but what we end up finding, David goes on and he says, David persisted. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. He said, when a lion... Okay, Now, when we read this, we're not talking like a Wizard of Oz type lion, okay? Because when we read this, there's a familiarity that comes with this because we've been hearing it since we were kids in Sunday school. Oh, he was fighting lions and bears. Are you hearing what's going on right here? When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock or threaten it, what's going on here? What does he say? I go after it with a club. And I rescue the lamb from its mouth. And if that animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and I club it to death. Somewhere in there is, hoo, 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 okay, I know it's in there. That is a manly verse. I mean, again, we just kind of Sunday school it up. Do you hear what's going on? Lions are coming to get the sheep. and He's not running away. He said, I'll go after that thing. It's not messing with my sheep. I'm going after it. All right. And, and uh, when you read this, this dude fought off lions and bears and maybe some tigers. Oh, my. I don't know. But, but what I want you to hear is this is men. This is no weenie, wimpy, wuss shepherd. Can you say wuss from the pulpit? I did. Okay. But <laughs> it's not. This guy is a man's Man. This just translates in the Hebrew, it translates, it's on. That's what it translates, it's on. It, it, messing with my family, it's on, okay? That's why men, when you hear some strange noise in the middle of the night, you're the one that gets up, right, in your boxers or your, your tidy whities to find out what it is. And, and when you see that it's a cat, you take it out, okay? <laughs> take it out. That could be your lion right there. (laughs) Y'all know my love for cats. I am just curious today. How many of you would say you have a wife or kids or someone that you know that you are called to protect? Would you just lift your hands today? You know you are. How many of you would say you know that you would do this? You would even die for them. Would you lift your hands up today? You would die for them. You know you're made with that inside of you. Now, let me ask you another question. You would die to protect them, right? Men, how many of you would live to protect them? You know what I'm saying? you live to protect them in the way that you protect and the way that you lead you live you you live in this sense of you know of not being passive and i'm going to tell you this that listen despite the way that culture sets men up and portrays us to look a certain way and we just kind of go with it or whatever because a lot of times there's a lot of truth in it listen you're made to be a protector you're made to protect your family. Bible tells us this is your family is under. I mean, we know this. Your family is under assault every day. Your wife is under assault by the world. Your kids are being barraged by the media and all the things that are in our culture today are coming at them. Who's their protector? You are. You're the one that's to protect them, not bring it in your home. You're the one that says I'm going to protect physically and spiritually. And emotionally, because God made me to be this way. I don't know if you know this, but there is a lion that is lurking about in First Peter chapter five, verse eight. Right before this, if you were to look at the whole context of this, you would see that he's talking to spiritual leaders. He's talking to shepherds, and he's saying you got to be alert. And look at what he says in five eight: Stay alert, shepherds. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy. Who? The devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He's looking to take your family out. And that ought to cause the hair on the back of your neck to bristle up a little bit. And say, not my family. I'm not going to bring junk in my... I'm going to protect. I'm going to lead. I'm going to step up in this way. Men, when we realize there's a real spiritual threat to our families... What so many men don't realize is that it's there and so marriages are failing. And we don't realize who the real culprit, the real enemy is that's wreaking havoc. A shepherd is called to protect. He's called to care bravely. He's called to lead. He's called to be active. He's not called to be passive. This is part of the responsibility of headship. He's called to fight sometimes when it's necessary, right? Sometimes the battle gets brought to you. We're not looking for a fight, but when the fight comes to us, he stays in there. If you think of David, you know that David was not only a shepherd. You know what David became? He became a warrior, a great warrior that led his nation. We look at Jesus. We see someone who is willing to stand up and fight for those that were weaker. He stood up. He wasn't some wimpy, wow, mousy looking little man that they've made him to look like in some of the pictures. He was a man's man. Do you know, fishermen were, rough fishermen were attracted to and wanted to be around him. You can't be a wimp and those guys want to be around you. He was a man's man, they were attracted to his leadership. This is what God has called us to be like. And you know what? When you look in the scripture, what you'll find when you see Jesus in the book of Revelation is you'll see Jesus is a warrior. You'll see that he's a warrior. I'm telling you that this is in the heart of every man. You've been created in the image of God. You've been created with the spirit. You are a protector. This is who you're made to be. Stop being passive and be active in protecting. God's been preparing you all throughout your life. He's been preparing you just like he did David as the shepherd. He's been building you up and making you in this. And when the lions came for the sheep, he was ready. And God's been doing the same thing with you. And you maybe have gone through some things in your life that have been difficult. But God has taken those things and he's using them in your life. He wants to use them in your life to make you into the man that you are today. Even God can take horrible things. And, and God, when you yield to him, can take those things in your life and make you into a great man that's strong. When you allow these things, when Goliath came and he defied the name of God, David was ready. He didn't back down. God was preparing him. You know what? I, I, I see, I'm I a dad and I have a 15 year old son and I have a daughter. So I see both sides of this. Okay. What I see in as I've been raising my son, as I've been seeing this spirit has been in him from the very beginning. This little warrior spirit. Okay, he's got it. I see this in him that God's been preparing him since he was a little boy. I I also am very close to my nephews and I see it in my nephews. I mean, Luke, all he ever wants to do is wrestle with me and fight and all this and punch and all this. OK, and uh, I mean, it comes naturally for them, right? OK, you don't have to show them this. They're made this way. My nephews, Aaron, he, he just when he sees me, he does this. He wants to fight. OK, and uh, my other nephew, Nate. OK, every time Nate sees me, he doesn't say hello. He punches me. That's what he that's what we do. OK, and, and so it's like ingrained within them from the very beginning. Now, my daughter, Trinity. She wants to have tea parties. And I have tea with her, okay? And Trinity's always wanting to hug and snuggle and climb up in daddy's lap. If Luke ever tried to do that, I'd smack him one, okay? All right? He, but he wouldn't. Uh, no, really, I'd let him, okay? But, uh, but he wouldn't because he's like, he wants, if he was climbing in my lap, it would be because he wants to hurt me, okay? And he wants to fight with me. With Luke, it's always been different. He wants to fight. We've always wrestled. So we have WrestleMania in our house. And, And it was a lot easier when he was younger and smaller. Now he's 15 and he's filled in and he's big. And when we wrestle, we hurt each other now. And we break things in the house. And hope shakes her head and she doesn't understand. But it's what we do. It's what we're made to do. Trinity sees us and she's thinking it's all going to be fun. And she comes and she wants to get in the middle of the of the wrestling match. And she does. And within 30 seconds, she's mad and either hurt and she's crying. And she tells me she's going to go tell my, her mom on me. OK, and um, and that's what she does. And then Luke and I, we just keep fighting. You know, this is what we do. And I, I, God has been preparing Luke. I believe this. He's testing his strength. He's, Luke's always testing his strength with me now. And sometimes it hurts. And as he's doing this, what I see here is I see this is that God is preparing him. Because at some point, he is going to have to take a stand at some point in his life. And I'm not saying that that's always physical. But he's, God's preparing him. He has this little spirit within him. All of, all of our boys do. I look back on this passage in John. I see that it's not a matter of if you're going to have to fight for your family and protect them from the wolves. If You keep reading that passage, you'll see it's when the wolves come. And then you've got to stick it out in there and be the protector. There's definitely a time to turn the other cheek without a doubt. Jesus said that. Ecclesiastes tells us that there is a time for peace. But, you know, Ecclesiastes also tells us there's a time to fight. There's a time to protect. There's a time for war. And for far too long, I would say that the church has stripped men from the, per, the permission, from permission to d- draw a line in the sand and say, I'm not taking this anymore. You know, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm going to protect, I'm going to protect. And again, there is time to turn the other cheek. And, and you know when that takes a strong man to know when the time is right to do that. And there's also, there's a time to draw a line in the sand. And you see Jesus do this often when injustice was around him. He would stand up and he would fight for those that were weaker. Now, I know what I'm about to tell you is going to be somewhat controversial for some of you, and I might get a nasty email or two. I have a new email address, okay? Are you ready? Here's what it is it's Pastor Randy at EaglesviewChurch.com. That's my new email, okay? And so if you have a nasty note, that's my email right there. And, um,. This is one of my favorite as as we as we move towards wrapping this up. It's one of my favorite Luke stories. OK, and my son, when I see this kind of spirit within him, this is a classic Lukeism right here. I remember when he was a little guy and I'd taken Luke to the park uh, down here in Saginaw, Willow Creek Park, our community. OK, you may think this doesn't sound very pastorly. You'll hear that often about me, okay? <laughs> and, but here's what, here's what happened. We went down to Willow Creek Park. We were having a good time, and there was this bigger kid that wouldn't leave him alone and just kept kind of pushing him around, and Luke was really, at this time, he's probably about five or six, and he just this kid kept pushing him around and stuff like that, and I was kind of watching this whole thing go down, and I was just going, hmm, I don't know what to do about this. I'm a pastor in the community. So I, Luke came over, and he was like, this kid's pushing me around. I said, just kind of stay away from him. Walk, walk off, you know. Let's just let's not go looking for fights. I am a pastor, okay. And uh, just go find someone else to play with. The kid kept following him around. And, uh, and so anyhow, I saw the kid's dad, and I kind of said, and I just kind of went like, you didn't do anything about this? And he said, boys will be boys. I said, oh, it's like that, okay. All right testosterone level was growing at the playground, okay? Your pastor, you'll be proud, okay? And, um, and so I'm sitting there and I'm seeing this go down and finally this kid takes a cheap shot on Luke and knocks him to the ground or whatever, not punched him, but they were just playing really rough. And Luke was, again, a little guy. He was much, this kid was much bigger. And Luke looks at me and he gives me the look like, can I do something about this? And I said, Luke, get him. And we'd I've been prepared, we'd been wrestling. We so Luke got him, took him to the ground. The the, the other little kid started crying. And um, and you should have seen my face. <laughs> and I said to the dad, Boys will be boys. <laughs> Your pastor again. And um, and so anyhow, we kind of broke it up and we left, and Luke was all kind of, you know roughed up and his hair was messed up and he was sweating in his and, you know, and he, he had sweat running down his face and his face was red. And, and I thought this is a great teachable moment. And I said, I said, Luke, what would you what would you think about all that? You know, and and uh, let's talk about that a little bit. OK, we don't not going around, you know, trying to fight with everybody and stuff. And Luke says this to me and I promise this is what he said. He looks at me and he says, Dad, he said, you don't go looking for trouble. Sometimes trouble comes looking for you. (laughs) I nearly fell out of the car as I was driving. And I thought, my son is John Wayne. This is awesome. This is fantastic. You don't go looking for it, but sometimes it comes looking for you. And it's true. He's been, God's been preparing him his whole life. He's been doing the same thing with you, men. He's been preparing you in all kinds of different ways. All kinds of ways. See, part of the role of headship is when the enemy brings the fight to your family, men, you are called to protect. You're called to protect, to fight when necessary. Here's another characteristic, just a couple of quick things. Characteristic of a shepherd is this. He is to love sacrificially. This is a man that dies to self. Because so when you look at Jesus, don't you see that? You see a man that serves. You see a man that initiates leadership. You see a man that will wash feet. Probably wash dishes too, okay? You see, you see a man that serves. You see a man that loves sacrificially. I love this. In John 10, back to John 10, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd does what? He lays down his life for the sheep. I believe that's physically, but let me tell you what I also think. I think it's deeper than that. I think that when we're, as we're talking about one and oneship and unity, you know what I think? I think this also speaks of he's a man who will die to self. Pastor Randy last week talked about this cycle of respect and love and and listen, when we get to this place of, of kind of being butting heads in this sense, and we're and and we're trying to determine, I, I believe this, Pastor Randy believes this, he said it last week. I agree with it a hundred percent. Somebody has to start the cycle of humility and dying to self. Somebody does. Men, I believe that's our calling to be the first to initiate. When you Emulate Jesus. Do you remember? They wouldn't wash feet. What did Jesus do? He got up. He led. He washed feet. That earns respect. earns respect when we live this way. This is what a man's called to do. This, this means, sometimes it means giving up something. Sacrifice. What is a sacrifice? A sacrifice is to give up something that we love for something that we love even more. That's what it means to sacrifice. To give up something that we love for something that we love even more. And this is driven by my priorities. My relationship has to be God first. If I'm married, my spouse is second. Then my kids come. Okay? What what women are wanting in a man is a godly man. What they need from you is for you to say, God's first in my life. Because when you put him first and you start acting like Jesus, that is a man that can be loved and respected. As you look more and more like Christ. What is it that maybe God's calling you to sacrifice? Maybe it's a part of one of your hobbies or something. So you spend more time. There's a season for everything. Maybe it's, it's, it's some time at work or whatever. I don't know. God, God will tell you. He'll show you. Here's the last thing. A good shepherd, to sacrifice, it means to give up something we love or something we love anymore, but here's what a good shepherd never does. He never abandons the sheep. Never. He sticks it out when things get rough. That's headship. He stands in. He never abandons the sheep. Look at what John 10 says. Go to verse 12 now. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep, so when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and he runs away. That's cowardly, isn't it? That's not the shepherd. That's the hired hand. The shepherd stays in. Then the wolf attacks and, and, and when he runs off, what happens? in the flock, he attacks the flock and he scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for a sheep. I tell you, that man is a coward. That man is Selfish. A shepherd is someone that dies to self. He stands in. He says, I'm fighting this out. I'm protecting. I'm sticking it out even when things get rough. Jesus told us, did he not? I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will never abandon you. Your wife and your kids need to know that about you. Sometimes Hope and I... Sometimes we fight, we get in an argument, just like anybody else does. And there are times where I have to come back to my kids and I have to say, because sometimes we have some pretty good ones, I'm telling you. And it's usually, again, when one or both of us is not being submissive to the Spirit of God, and we're prideful. And I'll have to tell my kids, you know that your mom and I, divorce is not an option. We are going to work this out. You don't need to worry. We are sticking this out. And there's this relief that they have in knowing mom and dad are sticking this out. They live with that sense of relief. You don't have to worry about this. We may argue sometimes. But I'm never leaving. Never abandons the sheep of so you may have heard about this is this is headship. You may have heard about the cruise ship off the coast of Italy. Did y'all hear about that earlier this year? It, it uh, they were going too close to the coast. They hit some rocks. They were going too fast. Uh, people died on this thing and uh, they were just there for a vacation. And this ship was sinking. I watched a program on the Discovery Channel about it. It was fascinating to me. As the ship was sinking, people were looking for leadership. They were looking for someone to tell them what to do. And, and, and you know, they couldn't find the head of the ship anywhere. He had abandoned ship. So the Italian government, and I, I heard this, they, when he finally made contact with the Italian government as they were looking for the leader, and people were dying and losing their lives, you know, and, and, and he got out, he bailed. The Italian leaders or the Italian government, they, I mean, this is on the call. They told him to get his no good self back up on that ship and be the head that he was made to be and the leader. And I thought, wow, that's what happens when people don't lead They abandon ship and the ship sinks. Even if the ship is going down, you're called to be the head. You're made for it. You're made for it. He never abandons the sheep. Paul said in Ephesians 5, last scripture, Husbands, love your wives, he says. Love your wives as Christ loved the church. And look, look at what he says. And gave himself up for her. This right here is an example of a shepherd. Our model is Jesus. Men look to Jesus. He's our model, He's our shepherd. There's a lot more to headship, but this is a great place to start right here. May we be who God's made us to be. Will you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for the men here at Eagles View Church, God. Thank you for the kind of men that they are. I love my brothers. I want to pray for each of us this morning, Lord. I know we've been challenged. We've been confronted by your word. These are men who step up, Lord. You've created them to be leaders. Teach us today to be more like you, Lord Jesus. Teach us how to have compassion and kindness. And yet a righteous indignation against that which is wrong and destructive. May we fight for that which is right. May we stand up for our wives. Lord, may we stand up for our children. May we take a stand for our church and be the men that we're called to be, Lord. You work through great men that take a stand for you. You always have throughout history. Lord, I pray that we would be exactly what you've made us to be. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.